Hey there, entrepreneurs. So the countdown to our hundredth episode and one year anniversary is officially on. So this is our 94th episode, and I'm so excited to be sharing this interview with you. It's It was just a really great conversation, but we are trekking forward. We are doing the countdown to the 100th episode. So there's going to be lots of great posts coming out on social media, um, chances to sign up for some freebies and lots of great stuff. So you don't want to miss it. So be sure to subscribe and follow and all those good things. But for right now, I am jumping in with the incredible Amy Wellsman. Let's go. Ever found yourself teetering on the edge of throwing in the towel? You know, asking yourself questions like, is this supposed to be this hard? Or is it even possible to succeed at this entrepreneur thing? I completely get it because I built my successful businesses while juggling major health issues for my children and myself, debt piling up to my eyeballs and so much more. Want to know how the hell I succeeded and how you can too? Tune in to find out. Here we go. Hey there, entrepreneurs, and welcome to today's show. I'm excited about this conversation because I think it's going to be, number one, a very timely one, and number two, just super interesting. So I'm welcoming to the show today Amy Wellsman, who is the CEO and founder of Palm Inc., which is a hand sanitizer company, but not just any hand sanitizer company, because at first I was like, what? And then I read it and I love their top principles, which is number one, reassurance, you know, feeling protected and cared for. Number two, indulge. Can you imagine that you would put it on your hands and you actually won't kind of want to vomit instantly with the smell? (laughs) And three, sustainability, because the thought of all of the plastic bottles that are coming off these hand sanitizers scares me a little bit. So Amy, Thank you so much for being with me here today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah. So give us, give us the background. I know you have some Johnson and Johnson in your background and you've had kind of an interesting twist and turn to get to entrepreneurship. So take it away. Yeah. So I began my career in advertising. I started fresh out of university at JWT Toronto, which is a huge advertising agency and and their, their location in Toronto. And I worked on the Johnson and Johnson business for about three years. At a pretty early age, sort of called it the uh, University of Advertising. So you learned so much, just like super yeah. green out of out of school, and then just learning all those skills. So it was an amazing experience. And I think after three years, I sort of started to get that itch of you know what's next. And um, I happened to be um, a no, I guess personally, the founder of Next, Joanna Griffiths, and she at the time had come out of her MBA school with this great idea for a women's intimates brand, and her mission was to really reset the intimates category and start making more inclusive products for all women, all shapes. Um, and she really wanted to sort of, you know, take on the Victoria's secrets of the world and, and do something totally new and different um, for that category. So um, I, I had known her and, and mentioned that I was looking for something different. And we, I ended up joining as the first hire at that at Nix and stayed there for um, just over four years and helped build that business with her. So that was when I really got that entrepreneurial experience of going from like super corporate to then, you know, being thrown sort of in the deep end and not really knowing what to do. And we sort of just like held hands together and, and learned so much. And we had a few really successful crowdfunding campaigns and 
you know, we were out on the road and I ended up managing their wholesale uh, division. So it was just an incredible experience for me um, to really learn like how to be really hands-on and, and launch a brand from, from really nothing. Um, and now today it's this, you know, huge success story. And um, Joanna is still an advisor on this business and we, we keep in touch regularly. So it was after a few years that I really knew I wanted to launch my own business. You know, I thought, okay, I've learned all these amazing skills. This was her baby. I need a baby now. Um, <laughs> So ironically, I actually left and then I had my own actual human baby. Um, and I, uh, during that period thought, okay, I've got to, I got to figure out what my next move is. And it was actually through that experience of early motherhood that uh, the idea for Palm came to me. I think a lot of moms can relate. Uh, you know, you have this newborn that you bring home from the hospital and you're just so aware of high hand hygiene. You know, you're yeah. using, I was using sanitizer all day. I had it, you know, on my change table, in my diaper bag, in my stroller, in my front hall to offer guests. And I often didn't have the time or energy to go and wash my hands with soap and water or may not have been available to me. So it was a product I started using a lot more and I, I had used it in the past for travel. I did a lot of travel for work and I always had it on airplanes and stuff, but this was a whole new level. And I really began to realize how most of these products on the market had a lot of the same things in common. Um, and I think all of us after this pandemic experience can relate, yep. you know, the terrible smells, the harsh chemicals, the drying that would happen on your skin. Like my skin was so dry and cracked and, and then, you know, packaging, like I think beyond just being sort of unpleasant in general, um, they were all single use and just being yeah. thrown out. Um, and I recognized an opportunity to maybe do something different in that category. And I was seeing, across other personal care categories, this sort of decommodification, if you will. So like taking like these everyday utilitarian products and making them into sustainable, clean, pleasant, beautifully packaged products that you actually want to buy. So deodorant this is happening in the deodorant category, shampoo, razors, you name it. And sanitizer was pretty stagnant at the time. This was pre-pandemic. There weren't a lot of cool brands out there doing interesting things. So um, I saw this opportunity and and ran with it. And then little did I know six months later, <laughs> no. the pandemic would happen. And suddenly it was like a whole new ball whole game, new but ball game. we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's what I found so interesting because I was listening to some other interviews and stuff that you did too. So how much did that expedite your go-to-market timeline? Cause it must have. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very, so what it did first of all was take what had been a, an idea in my mind that I was sort of playing with and doing decks and talking to people and doing a little market research. And then suddenly it was like, okay, we've got to get going. Like, I've got to call. Yeah. Like it's time. We got to get the formula. We got to like do all this. So it was certainly a huge push factor for me. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate, you know, they linger on ideas for a long time and sort of mull it over and it's totally terrifying. So like, you're looking for any excuse to sort of back away. Um, right. but this was something that hit me in the face is like, okay, well, <laughs> it's like you can't it's now relate. or never. And <laughs> now or never. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think what people don't understand too, is like you said, the formula, you know, just because sometimes, I mean, and I would love to hear your opinion, how you went about this. Sometimes making it cleaner does not make it easier to go to, to go to wow. production and go to market with. So can you talk us through kind of how you got those values put in, in place, you know, and how, how much effort did that take? Cause that was a lot. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. And, you know, I think I was constantly battling this pressure. Um, every day I noticed new brands coming up. And not only that, like existing big established beauty yeah. brands being yeah. like, oh, now we're going to make a sanitizer. And that was extremely difficult to sort of, yeah. um, 
Well, stay focused and stay positive because it's like, wow, this category went from like really having no disruption to now suddenly it's being flooded. Right. So it, it was took a lot of mental stamina to sort of continue through that and, and really try to ignore the noise and focus on our mission and why what made my idea unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, I mean, to do a custom formula, to do custom packaging, to really... You know, concept that I had, it was a lot of time. I think we had so many opportunities to, to rush to market. You know, you talk to manufacturers and they always want to give you, um, their house formula. It's like, well, we already had it made. You just slap a label on it. It's easy. Bada boom, bada bing. You're in, you know, but that's not the point. That's the, yeah. And I, and I, and as much as I was like, you know, it'd be great to be a market in three or four months. I also knew that like we had to stay true. So it did, definitely took a long time. There was a lot of back and forth. I was fortunate though. The lab that I had really nailed the formula very early on. I was expecting like multiple rounds of revisions and I received a few different versions of like our initial brief brief formula and I was really happy with it. So they did a great job. Packaging was complicated mm-hmm. and probably, I probably aged five years during that period. (laughs) Um, just because not only, and this is interesting, just in the context of the pandemic, not only was I, was I trying to use new materials for sanitizer? Like, you know, this wasn't a typical, you know, brief for packaging. Um, but you know, the FDA and health Canada, they were constantly, um, revising their rules around packaging. So at one point I even had like ordered all of our spout pouch bags and then, suddenly there was this change in Canada to the rules and I had to like add these other elements to it. And we had to scrap what we'd ordered and reorder. So, you know, it was challenges beyond my control and it it took a lot of mental stamina to sort of continue and just like try to solve every problem. And so it was, it was, it was a lot, it was a big challenge, but the result was something that still was unique in the marketplace. I mean, I feel what most customers say, you know, when they actually try the product or when they see it, and see how beautiful it is. Like we really do stand out. So I think that's, um, it was, that was the reward for, for all the hard work. Right. Right. So can you tell us more about the actual packaging? Just describe it for folks who aren't familiar because you're right. We're all, we're all conditioned because of the market to look for like the typical plastic bottle, right? Whereas I agree yours is beautiful and, you know, good for the planet. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we have sort of a systematic approach to, to hand sanitizer. I really having come out of that early motherhood phase and mother in general, I mean, I'm still a hand hygiene freak pandemic or no, but, um, I would say that I wanted to create an, an in-home dispenser that would just elegantly, you know, suit any space, um, as well as a travel bottle. So those two sort of like need states, if you will, and then have the refill component. I really, felt that refill was really important. It's that like behavioral shift that we're all making across a lot of categories. Um, and no matter what you make the dispensers out of, like it's going to create waste if you're just continuing to throw them out, whether it's aluminum or whether it's more like quote unquote sustainable materials, it's really about reusing and, and, and changing those behaviors. So um, I, our three elements are, we have a travel bottle that's made of previously recycled plastic, um, and it's meant to be refilled and has this cute little twist nozzle on it that nice. is really unique and completely different than what you'd see in a typical hand sanitizer bottle. I think like that was always the original vision of like, I don't want people to immediately recognize it as sanitizer be like, Oh, what's that? That's interesting. Yeah. Like, what is that? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, uh, the in-home pump, as I said, that was a lot of work because we also designed that from scratch. I worked with an industrial design firm and a manufacturer, and that one actually went through a lot of round of revisions and it was quite a complicated little piece, despite, you know, the simplicity of the design, it was actually 
another sort of pain point to be honest, but really happy with the final result. And then, um, we have the refill bags too, which, um, they hold a lot of, a lot of liquid. The maximum we could do is 500 ml or 17 ounces, um, because of again, regulations with shipping around sanitizer. Um, it's all a lot of factors and, um, it fills your travel bottle over five times and your, your pump a few times. So it's, that's the system. And, and we'll apply that to other hand care products as we grow and evolve, like this whole idea of refilling and, um, yeah. reusing. Yeah. I mean, that is one of the biggest questions that I had with all this hand sanitizer stuff too, was, you know, the amount of, of just individual kinds that I have and like individual bottles everywhere is pretty, pretty amazing. And then I just think about the household implication. If that's just me, you know, oh, yeah. across the world, you know, that is astounding when you think about it, but also, like you said, from being, I'm a mom too. And I can, I can really appreciate the fact of like, just refill it just like you would hand soap, like at the, exactly. at the sink, like, why wouldn't you just do the same thing? Um, so bravo to you for, for coming to the market with that, like ahead Thank of people, um, you know, instead of me trying to juggle like an extra big bottle into a little bottle, that's not even meant to do that, which is essentially what I've been doing. For the yeah. Past. <laughs> yeah. That's what most, a lot of people have, they've been trying like MacGyvering and trying to figure out ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, I want to be, I don't want to be naive to the fact that you did have a small child while doing all this. So tell me about, you know, I mean, talk about mindset when you are quarantined with us. How old is your child now? She's two now. So she was a year when I was like really full on with this. Yeah. 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 I mean, how did, I don't like it when people ask this question, but I have to find some way of talking about it, but how the hell did you keep your sanity? Yeah. (laughs) I'm just going to be very blunt. Not like, how did you make it all work? Like, how the hell did you say saying that's really what I wanted. <laughs> I'm not sure I did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I she just leaned into the crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was nuts. I mean, the context was, you know, my husband and I, and my daughter were in a, in a condo. Our house was actually being renovated. Oh God. <laughs> so, um, which went on forever. So we were in this little condo and it was the three of us and we really had, we had no childcare. It was, it was the three musketeers. Um, and luckily my husband at the time was, we were both sort of freelance entrepreneurial. So we were able to, you know, to balance, um, parenthood with that. And, and she wasn't in age where she was napping more. Sadly that those days are gone. gone. (laughs) Yeah. It would be very different now. I actually think she was at a kind of perfect age for it because she was still like, yeah, she wasn't quite as, as high maintenance as she is now in in a strange way. Um, yeah, it was really tough. We had and no family support either. I mean, we were all quarantined, like really quarantined. And that was about five months. Um, but luckily, I think when it really started very much gearing up right before launch, we started to integrate with our families a bit more and we had more of that support. But no, it's it's really hard. It's a lot of evening work. And mm-hmm. you just you have to be really passionate and excited about the idea that you have in order to actually make it happen. Like I think that passion has to be there. Otherwise, like, I hate to say it, but it's, it's almost, it's not worth the pain and right. struggle. Like it, it's really hard. And, you know, people always, I think we have this in our society through Instagram and these sort of aspirational platforms to, you only see the good stuff. Yes. You know, you see like the success stories and mm-hmm. you see, you know, the, the shiny faces when, when the hard stuff is over. And, you know, I always, I'm always pretty honest about my experience. And then I went through it at Nick's too. Like I wasn't naive going into this. Like I, I had seen what it takes and the amount of sort of 
you know, blood, sweat and tears that it really requires. So I knew what I was getting into, at least. I think some people are a little more naive when it's their first business, their first venture. And it's like, wow, oh, this really wasn't what I expected. Um, but in the moment, you're always, yeah. you you're get sort of, up. Away. you're just yeah. up, right? And I mean, and that's why they, yeah. that's why they always recommend. And I actually tell my clients, like, you better be really, really passionate, like you just said, or at least have a huge why somewhere in the mix, because there are going to yeah. be the days as I imagine you had, and I know I've had like crying on a floor somewhere. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Nine second guessing all of life's decisions during a pandemic locked in the house <laughs> with my children. Um, you really <laughs> need that like strong baseline. I mean, so, so what was, I mean, there's so many different mission driven points within this company. So for you kind of personally, like what was it just that you wanted the convenience or that you want something safer, all of the above, what's kind of that really deep why that got you off the floor? Yeah. Like- <laughs> I would say like I have, there are a few things. I think safety for sure. Our formula, I really wanted to make something really clean, um, but also really enjoyable to use. I mean, there are quote unquote, like very clean formulas that are like just alcohol and aloe. I mean, that's pretty clean to be honest. Yeah, exactly. It's just not very pleasant to use. So I wanted to I like combine clean with, you know, premium ingredients and emollients that actually moisturize your skin and really make it sort of like a two-in-one product, like a moisturizer and a sanitizer. And I had those, so that was a bit complicated, but you know, but using those plant-based ingredients. Um secondly, elegance, like I really wanted something that looked nice in my home and beautiful packaging. I've always been like, I'm a design junkie. I love interior design. I love, I just love beautiful things. And I wanted, I thought, why not make sanitizer beautiful? We haven't tried it. Let's give it a shot. Um, yeah, we're using it every day in most cases, like why not make it enjoyable? And then lastly, you know, as you've spoken to, to the sustainability mission and, and, you know, I've always been a fairly thoughtful consumer and, I am aware. I also get sort of like stress moments when I think about the amount of waste in some cases that I create in my household. And then I think, oh my God, multiply that by billions. And it's like, it's, it's like overwhelming. It's really, um, it hurts your brain. Yeah. Stress inducing. Yeah. yeah. So I thought, okay, if I am going to make like a product based, launch a product based business, I have to be thoughtful about the amount of waste we're producing. And, you know, and that's ranging from everywhere too, not just not just the immediate packaging, but the secondary packaging. There's so much you can do. Like, I, that's the other thing I always say there's not a line in the sand around sustainability. Like you are either sustainable or you're not. It's like, there's so many, even little things that brands can do to make a difference. Like I always use, use the example of like tape, for example, like we use a biodegradable tape that's water activated, even that little step versus using plastic tape in your shipping materials. Like that has a huge impact. Just those little things you can do to make your product more sustainable and produce less waste. So it doesn't need to be this like huge overhaul thing. It can be, you can do baby steps and get there because I think brands find it really um, overwhelming, you know, to think, okay, how do we turn everything around? How do we make our supply chain more, more sustainable? And there are little things you can do. So sort of off topic from your question, but no, okay. I would say that's that, okay. Number yeah. one, I'm fascinated the fact that that tape exists. Cause I don't even think I knew that that was a thing, um, yeah. but I, I think you, you bring a really good point about the compounding around the little things that you're exactly right. I think the larger brands, number one, there's too red tape, too much red tape for them to cut through and too many approvals needed and you yeah. know, people signing off to get them to kind of move and pivot, you know, the word of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, as quickly as, you know, your company that can kind of shift here and there, you know, funds, you know, as long as you have the funds for it and stuff like that, but the larger companies, like I would imagine a Johnson and Johnson is going to have a hard time 
changing anything because it's so hard distribution channel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tough, it is tough and and costs. I think like it's not cheap, as you mentioned earlier in the interview, like it is not cheap (laughs) to do, to be sustainable or to be more premium or, you know, be more thoughtful in your ingredients. It's, it's, everything costs more when you're going with biodegradable materials or sustainable inks or like recycled materials, like everything is more. So you're sort of betting on the fact that your consumer is willing to pay that premium, knowing that they're having that lessened impact. Um, There's so many things you can do. It's true. And actually that sort of leads me to, um, you know, beyond the decisions we make on our supply chain, we also have a partner that helps us, really well, they're, they're called repurpose global. Um, and they're a social initiative that basically works with brands to figure out what their plastic footprint is. Um, so they come in, they do a real deep dive into all of your materials, your supply chain, and they say, okay, so you're creating X amount of waste every year, which is always a bit of a shock. Um, like, Oh God. Okay. And, uh, but it's great because it really like, you know, brings to front, I think it's easy to brush things aside and sort of like choose to ignore it. Um, but it really can't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You really can't ignore it. And then they say, okay, here's the problem, but here's a solution. So, you know, they have infrastructure projects in various communities around the world where they're basically empowering these small communities to recover and collect the waste that's often created by us in North America. Like for example, like we're partnered with an initiative in Indonesia where they're getting, you know, thousands of plastic bottles rolling up on their beach every day. And they're building, they're helping to build the the infrastructure in these communities and empower and employ people to recover this plastic and then recycle and and reuse it. So essentially your donation or percentage of every sale goes towards this cleanup initiative. So you can then create, be considered plastic neutral. So like for every palm bottle that's sold, there's a bottle that's recovered. Or if you want to, you know, say a percentage of every sale is going towards cleanup. So we, we're, you know, counteracting our, our footprint through our donations. And it's a little step it's, you know, no one's perfect. It's um, it's really hard to be perfect, but I, I really believe that it's a lot about these smaller steps that you can take. Um, And they work with really big brands too, you know, and I think it's, it's a really interesting partnership and I've, it's been great so far and I highly recommend it for, for other brands that are trying to be conscious in their. I mean, it's an interesting point because you're right. Like materials wise, we have a lot of what we need already guys. (laughs) Like, I don't know that it's going to require manufacturing new brand new things. Like you said, I love that, that the fact that they're repurposing the bottles from Indonesia, you know, from over here, but I think it just, it requires people coming out of kind of, um, I don't know if lack of a better phrase, their ego (laughs) and like, you know, stepping in and actually smart partnering is what I say with other companies and other people and not kind of keeping this like scarcity, um, competition mentality right? Like we all have to come to the table to talk about this as well as I like the fact that you said, like it's small steps and it's not all or nothing thinking. You're not like completely sustainable or you're, you know, you are, you're not. And I think that's Mm -hmm. really important. I mean, have you met a lot of other kind of company owners that are in the similar boat as you, as you've kind of gone through this journey, like with the sustainability mission and stuff like that? Has that been helpful? Yeah. I would say that generally what I'm noticing um, is that most brands are really trying to make these changes, these small steps, which is great to see, um, and using PCR, like 
post-consumer resin or previously recycled plastic, whatever, um, or, you know, using, um, post-recycled inks or biodegradable shipping materials. All of this is sort of happening in the background at a lot of these brands. I think some brands choose to like really own it a lot more depends on to the degree of their sustainability mission, whether it really fits into their brand mission or not. Um, but I think it's exciting that it's becoming the new baseline, um, whether it's something they promote or not, which is great because it shouldn't, you know, I think, I mean, we all talk about greenwashing and like, I, I, I think it's a fine line and, but it's just, it's exciting. And, and, um, it is exciting to see these brands at least trying on these smaller levels and then talk about some of these larger brands. Like I know Claude Ellie has, has their mission to use only post-consumer resin and all of their packaging. And it's, but again, but they create a realistic timeline. It's like, okay, by 20, I I forget the actual date, but they've given themselves a few years to, to achieve that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, that's okay. You know, that's great. It shows that you care and that you're making those decisions and that you're thinking of long-term. Because I also think too, that, you know, these, this, it's no longer a, like sustainability is just integrated into how they shop and how they purchase. And they're just really aware um, and thoughtful consumers. So brands need to make those changes or else they do. they're going to fall behind. <laughs> they are, they are. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you're seeing, like you said, you're seeing a lot more of that. Like I'm looking at the stock market, looking at which companies are going where based on what, and you're spot on. And I think, you know, it's, it also kind of aligns with the we over the me mentality that's coming up. And I think a lot of companies, well, like to hope a lot of companies coming out of the pandemic are going more towards that and, and mm-hmm. favoring the person and, you know, sustainability and things like that on a lot of different levels. Um, yeah. So bravo for, for what you're doing. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Um, yeah. For folks who, you know, are entering into the product space, like you are, our entrepreneurs at home who are listening, you know, can you give us kind of your top, you know, I don't know, one to three tips, you know, to keep going? Cause we are the resilient entrepreneur. Like what are the things that kind of kept you going through all yeah. this? I love, I love the name of your podcast too. The resilient Thank entrepreneur. You. Cause I use that word <laughs> so frequently every day. Cause that's yeah, like- <laughs> every day. Resiliency is like the number one, I would say. Characteristic yeah. Of an entrepreneur. Um, yeah. What keeps you going? I mean, I think I always say like, with launching a brand, you, you have so many wins and then you have so many, you know, I hate to use failures, but you know, low points. Word. Yeah. Um, yeah. And failure is not a bad thing either. We shouldn't be afraid of that because we all fail every day in, in various levels. So but you have a lot of wins and you have failures. And I think the key to keep going is to learn how to compartmentalize. I think I am guilty of this all the time. You know, we'll have this amazing. And my husband always sort of was like, wait a minute, I just talked to you an hour ago and you were like on cloud nine, like, wait a minute, just, what you know, <laughs> let's think about this for a minute. So, you know, I'll have a conversation with a retailer and, and I'll close that deal. And I'm just feeling like so great. And so there's so much momentum. And then three hours later, I, you know, get a customer email. That's like not happy because something exploded in their package or whatever. And it's like, not a good thing. Or, or I, you know, miss out on a piece of coverage that we were really hoping for whatever it is. And it's so easy to just forget about the win from prior from a few minutes earlier and to just focus on that, that failure or that miss or that low point. And, and it's so important that you just like stop and take a minute and remind yourself of all the good things because, um, it's, it's the only way because it's so easy how your, your brain just completely focuses on the bad stuff. And meanwhile, like a million great things could be happening. And 
Um, it's that just keeps me going. I think is to like, take that minute for myself and be like, wait a minute, we just had this great week. So focus on that. Um, that that's like a big tip I would say. And also just staying true to the idea and believing in yourself is so key and not as easy as, you know, it sounds, um, you really have to have that confidence in your idea and, and really focus on what made it good to begin with. And don't let the noise around you interfere with that. And I think that was my biggest challenge launching a during a pandemic and B when my category went from being like sleepy to being (laughs) completely, you know, crowded and oversaturated really, to be honest. Um, so that was a huge challenge for me. And I think a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs face this all the time. Like you have, I remember at Nix actually, we, we launched our crowd, our first crowdfunding campaign in a week, like within actually a week prior to us launching another brand came out with, with a sort of like a functional underwear. Yeah. And it was so discouraging, but again, you have to focus on what makes you better or why, you know, why your product is, is going to win. Basically it's like, and, um, and that really helps too. You just, you just got to keep that mental, that, that mental stamina, self-talk, whatever you need to do. I mean, it's yeah. Meditation. I mean, I Uh, like the wins. I like the wins too. I did that with my clients. We start every meeting with wins and (laughs) believe it or not, like some people have gotten really annoyed at me. Because we do that. And they're like, why do we need to talk about these? I have all these problems I need to talk about. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like we need to stop for a second because, you know, like you said, you get hyper-focused on the things that messed up. And I think it's also kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy when you stay focused on those, because then you allow kind of that little voice in your head to be right. You're like, oh, see, there's the proof I'm right. You know, instead of focusing on the positives and you know, I just, I give you a lot of credit because I think a lot of people would have said, um, I'm good, you know, to launch in such a crazy marketplace, but again, like you're distinctly unique, you know, versus all, all the other things I see. So I'm sure that that kind of, did that play to your advantage? Yeah, absolutely. I think like I was, I was seeing other brands coming out with other products, of course, but I, I just, I never saw something that was quite like ours. So it, ha- it gave me that hope of like, okay, I think we're still doing something different enough. I hadn't tried a formula that in my opinion, <laughs> I'm a bit biased was nearly, nearly <laughs> as, as indulgent I'll say. Um, and I, I felt that like we were really still on a path to a unique product in, in that category and to, and also too, I mean, our vision goes beyond hand sanitizer. I think that was our first sort of hero product, but hand care in general, I think that category in general is sort of underserviced and ignored a little bit. And we, we really want to own hand care and we have lots of other exciting products coming down the pipeline. So I always had that in my mind too. It's like, okay, so if we launch and sanitizer is just crazy and we, we need to like create that foothold, but then we have a jumping off point for other things. And, yeah, you know, yeah. we have a, a future, a path beyond this one particular product. Right. So that helped me too, but no, it was a lot of a lot of positive self-talk going yeah, on. Of course, of <laughs> course it is. I mean, that's life in general. I yeah. Like, like yeah. And good support. Day. I mean, I, yes. I should yeah. also say like the importance of having good people around you, whether it's your partner or your family, um, or just a really great team of advisors. Like I, I'm really fortunate. I have sort of like these five people that are in my orbit all the time that I 
call upon for advice. And, and that's really important when you're launching something out of the gate and yeah, because they know what, what it's like. A lot of them are entrepreneurs themselves and um, you need that. Cause sometimes like your partner isn't necessarily going to be the person that you need no. in that moment. It's like, no. they can be there to like hold your hand and everything, but sometimes you need someone who's really been through it to be like, yeah, yeah. You know, this is what happens. Sometimes it's just hearing about like, yeah, I remember that. Like we were in dire straits. Like I could barely afford to pay anyone. You know, you, you kind of remember like, oh, wait, you're not alone. Like this yeah. is normal. Yeah. And similarly, the importance of meeting other entrepreneurs yes. um, for me has been huge. I've fostered these like wonderful relationships in the last even a few months where I feel so connected to these people because we're having such a similar experience. And um, that's also so important. Like earlier this month, like, you know, I was complaining about something and I, I texted one of my 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 friends and she's like, oh, we're having the same issue. Like, don't worry, you're not alone. Like, this yeah. is happening to like they're that's all you need. So that's all you need is all you need. To be like, you're not crazy. Like yeah. the thing that happens. I mean, I yeah. tell I tell clients the number one thing you do when you come into entrepreneurship is find your find your people, right? Yeah. Because you're exactly right where and it's not no offense against the people who are in different kinds of job markets or whatever it may be, but you don't get it that your heart is kind of out there and you have to kind of put yourself out there while at the same time disconnecting your self-worth from the success of your, your business, which is a very tricky line to walk. So hard. And if you haven't been through it, you know, you, you really don't get it on a lot of levels. No, it's a whole other fear, fear of failure, you know, yeah. having come from the corporate Yes. So, well, it's funny. I had like a very almost like cushy trajectory in the sense that I went from that like very cushiony corporate experience where like really no one's accountable. Like you have so many layers and you're all yeah. sort of in it together in this blob, which is great. It's wonderful, but like it's a different experience. And then to being in that entrepreneurial, like first hire sort of situation where, you know, you are really accountable, but it's not your baby. So like right. if it were to blow up, you wouldn't necessarily be, you know, yeah. Totally. You may be collateral yeah. damage, but you're yeah, not. Yeah. 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 But it's not like, you know, your life at stake. Whereas and now this is like fully, you know, right. I'm, I'm fully accountable. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a scary, it's a scary thing. I think fear of failure actually is another real driver to yeah. success. It's like, well, yeah. this cannot fail. So what do I have to do? Exactly. To I, burn, I burned the bridge. There's no, there's no going yeah. back. We're here now. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I give you so much credit. I think it's fantastic what you're doing. And I think Thank like, you. it's not easy. <laughs> really hard. I know it is. And I say that to everyone, like, yeah, I say that to everyone too. And, and they all relate everyone who knows who's been through it knows, but, yeah. but it's also so rewarding. And this is the thing, like it talk about ups and downs, you know, you have those days, as you said, crying on your, crying on the floor, but then you have these wins that make you feel just so good. And you're yeah. like, this is why I'm doing this. And like, I have to, exactly. you just have to hold on to those moments exactly. like cling to them with, for dear life, because it's all it's going to be that that's going to keep you going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a good point. And I think also, you know, here in the resilient entrepreneur, we tend to say like failure is not a person. It's a moment in time. Right. So like, it's going to go away or, you know, no yeah. emotion is, is forever kind of thing. Like it will pass. Mm -hmm. So, you know, always remembering that. Um, so any kind of last, last bits of information, cause you've got so much great stuff that you want to kind of tell our, our resilient entrepreneurs at home. Oh, that's it. Um, Copy covered so much. I, I think know, like, I know. I yeah, always, I always ask that question. And I'm like, Michelle, you just talked about a lot. <laughs> like, really? Like, did you have to do Thanks, it? Michelle. No. Um, 
But I always want to give um, the opportunity in case there's something in your head that maybe you wanted to share with us. You know, I feel, you know, I'm, I'm usually pretty open and honest about my journey. I, um, as we've said many times, it's, it's really hard. So you got to, you, you got to be ready for that. I think if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, it's, it's, and I think there's, again, there's this perception out there. You only see the positives and you only see the wins. And if you're on Instagram all the time and you're following other brands that are seeing success, you're not seeing, you know, you're not necessarily seeing those first couple years where it's really the hardest. And, um, so you got to remember, like, it's such a brain, it, again, it's just like mental conditioning to be like, wait a minute, they started, everyone started from nothing. Yes. And no one went from zero to a million. I, I actually think like those, I, I get all these emails in my inbox, like just rant, I, it's all spam. And it's like, oh, this brand went from zero to a million dollars in sales with like this thing. And, <laughs> and you're like, like, how many years know. did it take them? And how many people? And did they have a million yeah. dollars to start with? Because they probably- Yeah. And also like, like, is that even real? Like, this is like no. fake. This is like a total scam. And and I think you have to remember, we all start somewhere and we all grow. Like, you know, you look at a brand like Nix, for example, that's like, so at the top of their game, they're doing so well. And it's so wonderful to see, you know, Joanna having all the success and, but, you know, I remember very clearly and she does too. And she always talks about, you know, those first two years were really hard and people were like laughing in her face being like, what is this like period underwear? Like, are you crazy? And, you know, there's so much, there's so many doors that close and there's so many people that, you know, tell you, I mean, I've even had people say like, why would you launch a beauty, like a brand in the beauty space? It's so crowded. Like, don't even bother. And, you know, that kind of negative talk is, is so damaging, I feel, and you have to really be so, um, strong to like, sort of, okay, I hear you, but I don't like yeah, moving on. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know really what, what the point of this was, bit was, but you know, just that it's really hard. No, um, uh, no, I think but, also uh, it's, it's good to remember, like when people <laughs> shut those doors in your face or they question you, like those questions, I would say. of the time I've learned that they're about that person and not necessarily about you, you know, and someone's like, why would you do that? Like, I don't know. Why not? Like, it's not not? life. (laughs) Keep your opinions to yourself. Like, but I think that's a lot about them. And I found there's, it's either that, or, you know, there are people who are genuinely concerned about you probably like, Oh, hmm, are you sure? Yeah. It's not necessarily about picking a side. It's about just walking with you through the crazy right? Like you don't have to agree or disagree, but you do have to believe in me at the end of the day, whether the product Mm -hmm. or not, but you should believe in me as a person, as somebody that you care about, or, you know, you're either on the train or under the train to say that, but yeah. Yeah. And no one, no one wins without taking that, that chance and that step. And it's, it's a leap of faith. And, Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day, if it is a failure, it's a learning experience. And like, there's so many entrepreneurs, very successful people that talk about all the failures they've had along the way and businesses that have exploded. And I mean, it's, uh, it's all a part of the journey and and you shouldn't be afraid of that. If you're going to take this kind of leap. Yes. Agreed. Sort of my other bit of advice, just a bit morbid, (laughs) Um, but it's great. It's really great. But I think, but I think it's, it's good to be authentic about this stuff because you're exactly right. Everybody puts out the final performance and nobody shows the dress rehearsals. And, you know, we all need to be very cognizant. I get that from people that are like, oh my gosh, everything looks so perfect about your life. And I was like, I have two small children. Nothing is perfect about my life. (laughs) On the daily, something goes wrong or somebody is yelling at me or, you know, whatever else. I'm like, so I think Mm. it's just a reminder that 
we're all human too, having kind of this yeah. experience. So an external success doesn't necessarily mean internal success either um, for people, but that's a yeah. whole other podcast topic. So. Yeah. That's a whole other therapy session. <laughs> um, can you tell people where they can find you, my dear? <laughs> so you can, uh, we are, so we're sold in, uh, on our website, mypalm.ca or mypalm.com for our American friends. And also we have a bunch of really amazing retailers, but I know in Canada, if you're listening to this podcast, you can buy our product at Indigo, which is one of our biggest retailers up here. Um, but mainly on our website, mypalm.ca and mypalm.com. Awesome. Wonderful. And listeners, we're getting a discount, which I'm super excited about. Um, so when you go to mypalm.com or .ca, as you mentioned, right? Um, mm -hmm. And if that is P-A-U-M-E, guys, my P-A-U-M-E. So make sure that you get that right. And it'll yeah. be in the show notes. And the coupon code for 15% off is resilient15, which is pretty easy to remember. So I would hope you do, folks. <laughs> um, you know, Amy, thank you again for coming on. This was such thank a great you. conversation. It was great. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So this conversation with Amy is just interesting on a whole lot of levels. Cause I have to say when, when, you know, her information was first sent to me, I was like a hand sanitizer. What in holy hell is somebody thinking? Um, because the market was so saturated, but when I really started digging into her and the product, you know, the sustainability aspect of it, you know, just so many different parts of it you know, it really made sense to me as kind of this, this, this disruptor in a way, because just think of how many plastic bottles are being used daily for hand sanitizers, right? And, and the fact that I don't think it's going anywhere in our culture. So you might as well have it be pretty, smell good and help your hands, right? So I just love the fact that she, she took on a saturated market stayed true to her, stayed true to her principles, you know, and also that sustainability part of it. And I think this episode is just full of great points, just from an educational perspective, if you are out there and thinking, you know, how do I source and how do I use, you know, responsible materials and how can I better serve the globe and the, the environment through my business? This is a great episode of where to start because I learned a lot. I hope you did too. But on next week's interview episode, which will be number 96, I am welcoming the amazing Doug Cartwright. So this episode is crazy. I mean, I'm just going to leave you with this. Like what does psychedelic therapy, um, losing a million dollars and self-worth and self-care all have to do with one another? in entrepreneurship, of course, because that's what we're here for is a resilient entrepreneur. Um, you're going to have to tune in next week to find out because Doug and I cover a range of topics and he's a pretty incredible person and you don't want to miss it. But, and you can track me down. Like I said, in the beginning of this episode, follow me on social at create honesty on IG and Facebook, my name on LinkedIn at create honesty on Twitter and clubhouse as well. Although I'm not that active there, so might not get as much information, but follow me there and, you know, tune in for our countdown as we get closer to 100, we're going to have lots of fun things going. And I don't want you to miss that either. And as always, if you love this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, download, rate, and review. And, you know, tell a friend because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later.